0: Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is breadth and length and height in depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who, by the power of His work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to Him be the glory in the Church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Megan. <clears throat> Thank you, kiddos. Hope you're having a good summer thus far. Thank you for worshiping with us. We'd like to release you to go and party back in the Island Auditorium. Thank you all for being here with us. We look forward to rocking and rolling again with you all next week. Bless you all. Today is show and tell day at Providence Community Church. I'm not one for object lessons, but you'll note that I brought a few things with me. So I'd like to show and tell. First of all, good evening everybody. Thanks for adapting this evening. Woo! Glad to see you. I will scratch that every time I see somebody start to kind of drift off to sleep. I'll just move this table and uh, we'll all be here. Or on the ceiling. Because we will have jumped out of our seats. Hey, turn to Ephesians chapter 3 if you've not already We're still in our series in Ephesians, and we will be in our series in Ephesians for another couple weeks. Um, Then, beginning in July, we will start a new series um, that, like we typically do in the um, summertime, with people traveling and going on vacation. We like to do kind of just little one-off kind of takeaway. You don't have to always necessarily be caught up in the momentum of the series. We like to kind of chill out a little bit in the summer, uh, knowing that people are traveling. And so what we'll be doing is for seven or eight weeks, doing one week at a time, answering the question, who are we as a church? And that may surprise you when we begin to unpack some of those answers, because it won't be, here's every little dot and tittle that we believe i.e. like our Anabaptist core convictions or like a Nicene Creed type of deal, but rather it's going to be what is our church? Who are we as our church? But really, what is any church? What is a healthy church? So we're going to look at a Jesus church. We're going to look at kind of in our system one week will be like a believing church, a belonging church, a blessing church, then a worshiping church, a praying church, a church on mission, and etc. when I figure out what the other ones are off the top of my head. I have them written somewhere, but not here in front of me. So, look forward to that in July, but for now we are in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, and this may be my favorite section of Ephesians. And I almost even hesitate to kind of try and preach it. What I did instead today was pray it. And I prayed it for our church I prayed it for each of you by name, and I will continue to pray this in the weeks ahead because it is a big, beautiful prayer for the church. And so, before we get to that prayer, I want to tell you about the things I brought for show and tell. This is a glass, but it's not just a glass, it is you. This is you. And this is your spiritual life. And if it's not today, I'd imagine it has been at some time, and we'll call it pretty full. Yes? This water represents really all the presence and power and love and good things that God wants to fill you with. And so, how many of you are here tonight? A glass that is way beyond half full. You're pretty rocking and rolling. Like you could have put your hands on those direct boxes and instruments and like prayed and we would have had like an arena rock concert because the Holy Spirit fire fixed our technical difficulties. No? Well, that's okay. It's okay if you're not here. But let me ask you, as a follower of Jesus, on journey with Jesus, on progress, in progress with Jesus, maybe you've followed Jesus for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. Have you ever had something that resembles this kind of life? A life where you were, as it were, in some churches, on fire. Or where you just really thought that if it was a pathway and you kind of imagine you're walking with Jesus, you are in lockstep, you're like a music video and you're kind of just dancing and rocking and rolling, you are right there with Him. And you are right there, watch, with others. There is a discernment. There's a love, there's a service, a joy, a peace, a patience. All of those things we call the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because you are full of the Spirit. This is you, full of all the good things that God has in your life. If you're not there today, I hope you've been there or close to there at some point in your life. And if you're not, well, we pray. And we pray a prayer like we're going to look at tonight. But let's say that you're in lockstep with Jesus, you're rocking and rolling, and there is a time in your life where you're full. Then what happens is you begin to be confronted, just like Jesus, with the needs of others. Jesus was someone who was full of God's power and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, many times, entered into places where the crowd pressed among Him, and He found Himself in a situation Watch where he was pouring himself out. He was pouring out that power, that in service and in love. And like Jesus, maybe you don't have a crowd of people that are in need of cleansing and healing and recovery of sight, but certainly you've had family and friends who are not on the same path in the journey, and they need a hand to help lift them up. They need someone to come and encourage them and spend intentional time with them to fervently pray for them. And you begin to find yourself as a glass being poured out of all that you've been filled with. How many of you are this kind of glass? How many of you are this kind of glass at this moment, not just because you've been serving and giving and giving and giving, but frankly because you've just been starved and you're in a drought and have no recollection or idea where to start to begin to be filled with the power and presence and love and good things of God. Maybe you're that kind of glass. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. But if you're not here tonight on empty can you raise your hand and just like earlier like can you put yourself in a time in your life where you can relate to this? Yes. Everyone shakes their head. Yes. There are times we've been in the valley of the shadow. There are times when we are doubting, we're anxious, we're all of the things that rob us of the good things that God wants to pour into our lives. And I want to tell you again that's okay. That's okay. The reality is Jesus, I think, at times felt depleted also. But Jesus not only profoundly engaged with people in the crowds, what else did Jesus do? He withdrew, right? We've talked about this. And He's profoundly engaging with His Father. And there are places when He's come at the end of His rope, and He withdraws, and He taps into, as it were, a power source. And He is filled again by the love and good things of the Father. So wherever you are as this glass, as this person, full, empty, or somewhere in between, the reality is we all need a prayer like the prayer of Ephesians. It's a prayer that's a filling prayer. It's a prayer about the fullness of life in Christ. There, I woke you up. I moved it again. I just need to stop touching this. What did I say? It's a prayer about the fullness of life in Christ we've looked at this whole letter that's about life in Christ. And he's talked about these incredible and explosive things. Like, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you're in empty glass, you don't feel that way, but he says, you are. You're in Christ. And even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow, even though you don't see Him, He's with you. He's walking with you. And even though things aren't working their way out in this moment, in chapter 1, Later on in Ephesians, he says, all things will be summed up and gathered up in Christ. Then he says, you've been given power in Christ. You've been given immeasurable riches and grace in Christ. And so in these moments, we can track with these Ephesians who if I went 2,000 years ago and poured a pitcher in a cup and I said, are you full, are you empty? I guarantee you people 2,000 years ago said, yep, I'm there, I'm empty. And they probably look at a letter like Ephesians. And then they have Paul and these other people coming. And later on, John will pastor churches in this area. And they're saying things like, Jesus talks about abundant life in him. Jesus talks about immeasurable riches in him. And when you meet the people who their glass empty, they say, yeah, well, how do I get full again? And the place we start is always the same. And it is prayer. We pray for each other. So Paul was writing to a group of people who may be glass full people or glass empty people, but the prayer is the same for them and the prayer is the same for us today. And in verse 14 he said it is for all of these good things that God has done. Blessings, richness, unity, dividing, uh, you know, uh, destroying the barrier that divides us. It's for all of these good things for this reason. What? I bow my knees before the Father. Paul was in jail, if you recall, and had every reason to be a glass-empty person. But he thinks about all the good things that God has done. He's awake to how God is still at work, even when he hears the clink of the chain. And he says, for this reason, I will bow. He's in a jail cell, and he's bowing. I don't know if you're the kind of person who has ever thought about how your body and posture can connect and relate to your spiritual life. How many of you grew up in like an Episcopal church like me or a Catholic church or something like that? Have you been there and seen that? If it's new to you, what is the first thing that strikes you? Dude, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do here. Because what, dude? Aaron Sarkis is shaking his head. This guy. He'd walk down the aisle, and right before you even get in, you've got to stop at the baptistry, and what? Dip, sign of the cross. Then as you're walking down the aisle, by the way, you don't walk, you process in this sanctuary. And then you come into the, the, uh, the aisle here. Look, since I'm down here, I can do it. This is like the blue man group or something. I'm getting interactive, y'all. And then what do you do? What do you do, man? Boom, boom, boom. And then You sit. How many of us in the Protestant church, in a church like ours that like to keep things simple, how many of us ever think that we could do something as simple as bow when we pray? Well, I'm empty and I struggle to pray. Maybe you need to mix up your game a little bit. And maybe you need to get on your knees. There's nothing more magical about being on your knees, but there is something that Christians have seemed to catch on to for the last 2,000 years, and that is sometimes our body and can connect us to a place in our spirituality. In a celebration of discipline class here in our church, I've talked about before, one of the ways I pray as an anxious kind of dude sometimes, thinking about people and others, sometimes I sit there at a chair with my just feet on the ground, and I take both hands and I put my hands down, my palms down on my thighs. And I imagine releasing my worries and stresses and cares and anxiety. I turn my hands over and I say, I'm dropping this, I'm dropping that. And then when I get to a place where I think that my hands are reasonably empty, I try to connect my body to my spirituality and say, Lord, Now, I'm going to turn my hands up and I'm going to receive your peace and what you have for me. It's not special. He's not hearing you more clearly, but what it's doing is keeping you what? What have we talked about? Keeping you awake to the fact that God is present to you, that He can fill you, and that His desire is to fill you with such good things, and He will never run out of what you need. It's not magic. But the reason I'm stopping here is because I had to stop there this week and think, man, I'm in a place where I'm not so full and maybe it's time to mix my game up and put myself and my body into a position that helps me stay awake to what God is up to. He bows His knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth takes its name. God is the Father of all people. And what that means is really, in this case, he's the originator of all life. If it's alive, it's because God is giving it life. That is something that is so thoroughly biblical throughout the whole Old Testament. If it's alive, it's because it has its life in God. Other places, Paul says that in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. And he's talking about people that aren't followers of Jesus. But if it's alive, it's alive, and it's because God has given it life and breath. And so, in some sense, God is the Father. And really, God is not male, by the way. But God is Father and Mother. He is the life giver of every single family on earth. They take their name from Father. Hi, my name is John God. You know, you get his surname And so, when we think about this unity, we think about this cosmic scope, we think about Paul bowing, you better watch out and brace yourself for a really incredible prayer here is the meat of this prayer he's going to ask for four things don't rely on the screen right now if you have your bible or your phone track with me and see if you can spot the four things he prays for the first thing is this and it's in verse 16 I'm going to give you a preview of what he prays for you know it in this translation because he says I pray so that is a really great hint you with me What is he praying for? I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may, you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. First thing, strengthened with power through his spirit. Second thing, you see it in verse 17, if you're scanning, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Then the third thing, verse 18, that you may have the, here it is again, power to comprehend, to understand the height and breadth and all this incredible stuff. And then finally, I pray that you would be filled, or so that you would be filled, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying for four things in this big, meaty, beautiful prayer And we're going to look at those tonight. The first thing he prays for here is that we would be strengthened. But the main intent of this prayer, the so that, you notice I said filled, 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 filled. The main intent, the so that, is that last section of verse 19. That we would be filled to the brim by the Spirit of God and we'd know His power and love intimately In Christ. The so that. Is that we would be filled to the brim. By God himself. That we would be filled to the brim. By God himself. Thank you Elise for jumping around. I'm jumping around a little bit. That's the spoiler alert. That's where we're headed. When we think about that glass. Wherever you are tonight. This prayer is for you. This prayer is for us. Let's look at the first thing he prays for. Verse 16, I pray that according to the riches of His glory. Is God rich? Yes. But He's rich in so much more than we give Him credit for. He's rich in grace and love. And here it says, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit. Amy's wearing the shirt again, stone strong stone strong for life word up this is a soul strong prayer you with me we think so much about our outer man the language used there is my inner man it's not like the sci-fi movies where you got a little version of yourself with some gears and wires but there is this sense that there is a you within the you the soul the the fiber of your being but we care so much about our outer man we exercise and we diet some of us not me we exercise and we diet and we care about our outer man but this is a soul kind of strong are you weak in your soul are you holding on by a thread Paul is praying for you. Jesus, at this moment, is praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf that you would be continually renewed within. Because though your body may waste away, Jesus who is in you will not. And it's the reason why when your body wastes away, the inner you, the you that Jesus is strengthening, will exist into perpetuity. You with me? Your body goes into the ground or in the box and the you will continue because God is giving you life, He's renewing you, and He is going to keep you. And He's not even going to let your body go to waste either. God is not going to waste any of it. The final hope is that He'll take that body And re-strengthen the outer you also. Because we need to be whole people. Not just angels floating on a cloud with harps. While our bodies waste away. But until then, He is strengthening. And we're praying for the Spirit and the power within us to keep us going and strong. That's the first thing he prays for, this strengthening with power through his spirit in our inner being. Verse 17, what does he pray for next? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Here's the next question growing up in this part of the world. How many of you at the young ripe age of vacation, Bible school, or youth camp ask Jesus into your heart? Next question is, how many times did you ask Jesus into your heart? This is language we're familiar with. Jared's getting all of them going. This is language we're familiar with if you grew up in like a Baptist kind of church. This is the language we're very familiar with, is asking Jesus into our hearts. Paul is much more keen on saying that we, as in we, we, lots of we's, are in Christ. But Paul here also says that Christ is Where? Where? he is where where he is in us christ dwells in you and we all of us mysteriously this is what ephesians is about are in him it's okay to ask jesus into your heart because paul praise for Christ to make his home and dwelling place in your heart. And this is a great place for Jesus to be because John will tell us at times our own hearts will condemn us. It's a great place for Jesus to be in our hearts because a lot of times my heart, my mind wants to tell me I'm not good enough, that I'm not going to make it, I'm not strong enough. So this is a prayer for this kind of place. And that glass can begin to rise with all the good things God has for us. Because he wants Christ to be in us. John and 1 John. If our own hearts condemn us. God who is greater than our hearts will restore us. And it's in this sense that God dwells in us. And when he makes his home in us it roots us and grounds us depending on your bibles this next section may be in the next verse but let's look where he says you are being rooted and grounded in love i think about the enormous skyscrapers and however tall they are from the floor to the to the sky i imagine how deeply The bars go down to root it and ground it among the winds and the storms and the mess and the earthquakes. I imagine if those things are going to be strong up there, they've got to be strong down there. And we, if we're going to be the kind of soul strong, if we're going to be the kind of church that can imagine the insanity of God's power working through us, if we're going to be those kinds of followers of Jesus who aren't simply content to keep trying to drain the cup dry like some ATM that's content to make all these withdrawals but never wants to sit back and let God actually give us his power, he wants to root you and ground you so deeply in what? In Christ's love, rooted and grounded in love, not yourself, not your job, not your ego, not your family. What keeps you strong is being rooted in the unshakable truth that you are loved by God and no one or no thing can change that. Hello? Amen. This is what transforms you. We think we need to go read and study and learn a bunch of facts, but we're building a foundation that's such a mess if it's not rooted in a place that you are loved by God and no one and no thing can change that. So that's why he says. Let's talk about these things that you're going to hear and learn. The next thing he prays is this in verse 18. I pray that you may have, here's this word again, the power to what? What does yours say? Comprehend. Or maybe yours says grasp. Comprehend or grasp with whom? All the saints, this ain't for little old you, sorry to tell you. I pray that you would catch and grasp and claw and hold on to, not just kind of like here. Oh yeah, I heard that. I heard that that girl over there, she's doing that, man. I heard that. That doesn't change you. What changes you is when you catch and comprehend and know in your being. It's the difference between like a first date and 20 years of marriage. Right? It's a knowing. It's a comprehension. And he prays for the power to comprehend what? What are we supposed to know? We're supposed to know, look, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Is it some of it or is it all of it? And to know... The love of Christ. What are we supposed to comprehend? Every which way, all of it. What are we supposed to know? The what? Love of Christ. But watch, that surpasses knowledge. Paul says, know the unknowable love of Christ. Go, tell me how it works for you. Here's how it worked for Paul. He dove so deeply down and so high up and so far to the east and so far to the west. He dove deeply into the love of Jesus. And he comes up grasping, gasping for air and tells us he never saw the bottom. And he comes and says... Dive in with me. I feel like sometimes I'm up here saying, dive in with me, because I can only get two feet. Sometimes I've been four, but I feel like every freaking week I'm up here saying, come on! Because if we want to sit and be a church like this, we will never rescue for the kingdom the kinds of things that God has for us. We will never live the kind of lives that God is calling us to but sometimes I'm only getting six inches. But if we would pray a prayer like Paul's, if we would try to know and catch and grasp, we'd see that we don't need more information. We need to be filled to the brim. We need to dive deeply to the bottom. We don't need to read another book. We need to try and know the unknowable. And so that's what it looks like when you're that life that's fixed on the love of Christ firm to where God can take that picture and fill you to the brim. And finally, that's the fourth thing that He's going to pray for. When you start to dive deep into this recesses of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, all of this, I pray, so that you, us, we, them, may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you remember who dwells in our hearts? It's so easy. Send a school answer. Jesus, right? Thanks, Pastor Bud. That's why he's a pastor. He says Jesus when I ask questions. Jesus is dwelling in us. Did y'all remember that? We just read it. You know what? in a very similar letter to Ephesians, it's called Colossians. You should write down Colossians 1.19. This is a great verse to learn. Colossians 1.19, in fact, really 15 to 20 is just a fantastic thing that you should try to maybe commit to memory. It will help you try to plumb the depths of who Jesus is. But Colossians one nineteen says this. I'm not going to look at it. Maybe somebody should read it for me. It's something to the effect of In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is walking around filled to the brim with whom? All the fullness of God. Now, back up to our Ephesians passage. Who is dwelling in us? Jesus. Who is dwelling in Jesus? All the height, and breadth, and length, and width, and riches, and good things, and love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, and power. Filling, and dwelling, and residing in us. And all of a sudden, the empty glass doesn't look so appealing, but you tell me but what am I supposed to do? And if you haven't caught it yet, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm telling you to be with Jesus. To be filled. What does the glass have anything to do with the filling? Nothing, watch, except to sit there. That is is what's going to transform us. That's what's going to transform me. But I was thinking of a song this week. It's by a gal named Audrey Asad, and she's fantastic. And she's got this song that's talking about Mary and Martha. And right at the beginning, she says, why is it easier to work and hard to rest sometimes? And this is what I was talking about with many people this week. It's a lot easier to go and do, and it's very difficult to be Right? But then we sit here and we continue to talk about, I'm empty, man, I'm empty, I'm empty. And I say, brother, sister, I've been there. To a degree, I am there. But we don't have to stay there. And it may not be tomorrow. Because maybe the feeling that we're asking for or the only filling that we need in the moment is just to sit tomorrow, to be still and to know He's God and to find a pulse again. Right? If I've overcomplicated the life in Christ, I'm being serious. Please forgive me. If I have cast some vision and some expectation that you are a lousy Christian because you're not reading your Bible enough and praying enough, and that somehow the one verse or the sporadic sitting down, if I've cast this vision or I've overcomplicated it and I've given you a new law, I'm serious, please forgive me and tell me about it. And if you've overcomplicated it and you are struggling, I'm going to tell you Find what works and be surprised at what God can do. Our community Bible experience was tough to read seven chapters of Bible a day. But you know what? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, every day, did what's called the Moravian Daily Text, and it's hundreds of years old, and it's one verse of Scripture to meditate on a day. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer changed the world by standing up to the oppressive and demonic Nazi regime in Germany and calling for the true disciples of Jesus to oppose it. And one verse was enough for him. Martin Luther King, I've told you before, every day would look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and he would look at anger and lust, and he would see and hear Jesus saying things like, I don't know, turn the other cheek. And every day he'd read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, And he would gauge and reflect on his life, not unlike what Bud was talking about a few weeks ago with the examine prayer. He would go back through his day and said, where was I lusting in my heart? Where was I angry in my heart? Where was I building my house on something that was not the deep love rooted and grounded in Christ? And Martin Luther King changed the world. And I want to say that that was a Holy Spirit movement of God that changed the course of this country forever. Because that looked like kingdom to me. I don't care that it wasn't a churchy thing and it's in our U.S. textbooks. The power of the Spirit of God was with this country to repent of its gross and disgusting sins of segregation and racism. Because people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were trying to be filled by God by every day. Being with Jesus and listening to Jesus and griping to Jesus and crying out to Jesus. Today I read Psalm 55, which was a pretty gnarly psalm. That was in my Bible reading today, Psalm 55. And I didn't really resonate with Psalm 55 today. If we're talking about water, it didn't really fill me so much on the barometer. But you know what Psalm 55 is about? It's like this dude saying, I'm angry, listen to me. Where are you, God? Help me. This is terrible. And it's real. And it's raw. And it's gnarly. And we're not going to go teach our kids that psalm tonight. Maybe. But, it's this language that says, I'm empty. Where are you? Start there. Start there with your friends. Be honest with them. You know what? Things are not great, thank you very much. And my marriage sucks. (laughs) Let's start there. I can work with that. Your friends can work with that. We can't fix you, but Jesus can. We are a church that is to be filled to the brim... And we can't do it ourselves, but we can get ourselves in a position if we just find what works and give Him the time. We give everything else and everyone else our time. And often I've found that when I give the Lord my time and schedule it because I don't find it, I find that, man, why don't I do this more? Why don't I do this more? Why? man? even if it's just on the way to work, man, turn it off the ticket. I don't drive to work, but I drive to meet you guys and I gotta turn off the ticket and I like the ticket. For those of you who aren't laughing, you don't know the greatness of the ticket, and that's maybe a good thing. It's a radio station. Our prayer is that we would be full to the brim, and we need to get ourselves in a position to be filled. And so he closes with a beautiful benediction and a doxology that is pronounced in so many churches throughout the world, and you've heard it before, and you'll hear it again, verse 20, now to Him who by the, what? Power at work, where? Within us. Now to Him who by the power at work within us, there is power at work within you. You feel empty, God is there. God is at work. Even if you can't see it. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more. Not just abundantly, but abundantly far more than all we can ask. I can ask a lot, but he'll take it a step further. Or imagine. Now to him who is working powerfully within you, and he's able to do much more than you could ever ask or imagine. We're committing ourselves to Him. We're sitting before Him. And we're asking Him and imagining Him to fill us. Right now, for just a moment, what is it you need? Think of what God needs to do for you, you want to do for Him. Put yourself in the psalmist's shoes and cry out to Him. Think about what would just radically change your life. And stop there really quickly and, and remember that he is not a genie, but he knows what we need. We know what we want. He knows what we need. But let's just test him. Let's imagine something crazy like, I don't know, bringing Caesar and Ministerio Pescador some cans to replenish the stockpile that Jessica and I trashed. Okay, he hasn't got a phone call in six years. Man, wouldn't it be great if this church could get some money and raise it? Oh wait, we didn't have to. The moment we left, he gets a phone call and says, Can you do you have a place to store like six or seven pallets of these, you know, ten-pound cans? Oh yes, in fact. These gringos from Dallas just built me a dang shed. You know who prayed and asked and imagined Caesar and Raquel? You know who prayed and asked the Lord for reliable transportation? Caesar and Raquel? You know who did abundantly more than they could think about because they're simple people who can get along with what they have, but God, who is rich in mercy and wants to bless us and fill us, man, He just said, okay, let me just do a little bit more. Let me just do abundantly far and more. And you say, well, I want some of that, man. Well, remember, He knows what we need. And within this verse, now to Him, Now to Him, what's hidden there is a surrender. What's hidden there is a committing yourself to the One who knows what we need before we even ask. We're committing ourselves to the One who may not work always the way we want Him to. Can we release our wills to His will? And then would we let him do his work in us and surprise us? Do we trust that he might actually give us what we need? And then could you imagine that he could do like double that, triple that? I know I've been going long, but let me just stop you there and say this. If you cannot imagine God being able to double and triple what you need or want or can ask or imagine maybe that's why we're not receiving what we're asking and imagining. And I'm really cautious to say that. I don't know that everything is causal. I'm not one to tell you exactly all the mysteries of prayer or intricacies. I don't know why some prayers we just cry out like Jonah. He's at literally the last second. He turns after a ridiculous wave of disobedience he says one sentence in the middle of the ocean and he gets rescued i don't know why that happens for jonah but then people in the old testament who pray for decades for a child and it doesn't come i don't know why that does why why that child doesn't come for another 15 years or 20 or ever i don't know but could it be something to look at in our lives if we cannot imagine god actually doing and having the power to do what we're asking or imagining? I think we need to change our perspective here. Dare I say, we're not quite rooted and grounded in His love because Jesus says, what kind of father gives his son or daughter a scorpion when they ask for a loaf of bread? When we're praying, are we actually believing that God can do what we're asking Him to do? Or are we doing it because a pastor asked us to do it? I find myself a lot of times saying, God, this would be really great, but you know, your will be done because I know it's probably not going to happen. So whatever, let's go watch Simpsons. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory because when he does it, we should see it. And say, there is no way I could have done that on my own. So to Him be the glory where? In the church, praise God, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. May what He does and how He works resonate in our heads and our hearts and in our church for all generations forever and ever because He is so much bigger than we could imagine, so much more loving than we could ever believe, and He is closer than we could ever dare believe. But will you allow yourself to be filled? So let us begin where Paul began and pray. Would you join me? Let's let Paul close us in prayer. Father, for this reason I bow my knees before you, from whom every family in heaven and earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant that we would be strengthened in our inner being with power through your Spirit. And that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, as we are being rooted and grounded in love. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 As we come to the table tonight, as followers of Jesus, wherever you're at, in the glass, full or empty, I pray that you would just open yourself to meet Him and encounter Him in the bread and the wine. Remember that He gave all of Himself so we could have all of him. So let's partake in the supper and let us sing together again this evening.